If you have your Bibles with you today, you can open them up to the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. We'll continue our study as it pertains to the new nature within a believer as long as they are in the Messiah. Today we'll talk about the slaves and masters in the Messiah and how we are to act and conduct ourselves in such roles. And while I know that the terms slaves and masters are somewhat foreign, or at least outdated to us, and sometimes even considered taboo, they are extremely practical positions within Christ, and they are still relevant today. So let's read verses 5 through 9 in the 6th chapter of Ephesians, and then we'll dive in. Starting in verse 5, it says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling, and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ, do the Almighty's will from your heart. Render service with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat them the same way without threatening them, because you know that both their and your master is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. Amen. All right, what do we have here? Slaves and masters. And you say, TJ, we don't have slaves and masters in the world that we live in today. How in the world does this even relate to us and our positions as saints? Well, brothers and sisters, don't let the terms confuse you or scare you. These terms sometimes carry negative connotations simply because of our shallow and young understanding within the concept of a bad slavery system. The biblical slavery system was not a bad thing at all. As a matter of fact, it was ordained by Yahweh. Deuteronomy chapter 15, Leviticus 25, Exodus chapter 21, and on and on it goes. And it was and could still be a beneficial thing today if operated on biblical principles and used for the benefit of both the master and the slave. Because, by the way, are we not all slaves to a master? Sure we are. Every one of us in here is a slave to a master, whether or not you like the terms or not. They simply denote a position of servanthood or leadership. They're just terms. We all have masters, and we are all masters of something and someone most of the time. So don't let the word scare you, but to make this sermon practical, I'm going to deal with this section of Scripture as it pertains to the economical structure that we use today as it works hand-in-hand with employees and employers, since that is nothing more than slaves and masters with a different terminology. Now, there's some very basic principles taught in this text of Scripture that will help us better, help us to be better employees and employers. The reason for this is Yahweh's system is built on authority and submission. We should understand that. The reason, the reason for the for it working is because we should understand authority and submission. Throughout the last two sermons, we've been dealing with the authority and submission within the home and within the church. First, we dealt with the church. If we go back to verse 21 of chapter 5, where all of this started, we see that Paul tells the new converts to submit to one another, that means brother to brother, in the fear of the Messiah. And from, the, and from there, Paul branched off from the church assembly into what makes up the church assembly, and he moved right into the home. He deals with husbands and wives. He deals with relationships, roles of authority, and roles of servanthood. 
leaving no one excuse from being submissive to one another, but holding all accountable to properly fulfill their roles within their respective positions. For the wife, he says, submit to your husband. For the husband, he says to love your wife and submit to the Messiah. We are all under one leadership. We all have positions, but even the head of the home is still subject to the head of the church, whom is Christ. Paul moved on from the husbands and the wives, and he moved into the children. He dealt, well, we dealt with that the last time I taught. Children, obey your parents. Honor your mother and your father. This is your position in the home and also in the church. Your job is not only to be obedient to your parents, but by doing so, you are also fulfilling your duty to the church. Children play a vital role in the assembly of Yahweh. <clears throat> by the way, I'd like for you to take notice that Paul concludes each section that he's dealing with with the instruction to the masters of the heads of each group. For example, when he deals with husbands and wives, he deals with the husbands last. When he deals with children, he deals with the fathers last. And the concept continues when he deals with slaves because he will deal with the masters last. Do you know why? I believe it's because where authority is given, there is a greater responsibility. I think, I think Paul knows that it's very important that someone with authority must be constantly reminded not to use his authority as a leverage tool, but as a chance for leadership instead. And so he reminds the ones in more authoritative positions to be mindful of their authority, always at the end of each block of verses. Again, for example, with the wives and husbands, he reminds the husbands that we are to love our wives also as ourselves. And as it pertains to the children, he reminds fathers that we are not to exasperate our children, but rather train them up and lead them in the instruction of the Lord. And now lastly, as it pertains to slaves, the masters are to be mindful of the slaves, treating them with kindness and respect, knowing that as they are masters, also they are held accountable to the master which is in heaven. So, from the last few sermons that I've taught, we have seen a lot of instruction from Paul on how authority should be used and governed in the life of a believer. So with that mindset, we'll move into this section about slaves and masters, servants and or lords, or for the sake of discussion today, employees and employers. Verse 5 says this, it says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. So as we've discussed thus far, Paul is dealing with the Submissive relationship from the servant to the authority being the master. And while this seems as if he's talking about the household slave, and he is, it's also no different from the workplace employee today. Let me tell you why. The marketplace in those days was originated at home. When an Israelite family produced a product at home or in their land, they, the hired hands or, and or slaves and owners then carried it to market. In other words, the market went to market. At the end of the day, the market returned home. Okay, it wasn't so much like today where we would go to a, we go to a commercial institution and we work all day and then we leave our place of employment and go home. Back then, the place of employment was in the home or on the farm, and the product produced was carried to market where it was then sold. So the slaves or servants lived in or on the family land or family farm maybe, and then went as time permitted and sold the product they produced in town where commerce took place. 
These slaves were no more than employees then, just like we have employees today. These were not slaves that were beat. They were not slaves that were made to submit, but rather hired hands that worked for a master as a way of life. Paul says, slaves, obey your human masters. What does that mean? It means to do as you're told. Again, these concepts are very biblical. If we didn't understand employer and employee concepts, or slave and master concepts, we would never understand our relationship with the Messiah. Or, for that matter, Yeshua's relationship with His own Father. So there is validity within the concept, and it is good. This is Yahweh's design. He made it, and it is good. Some have, some have been created to be leaders and are masters, and some have been created to be followers and are slaves. We see that in marriage. We see it within the family. We see it within employment. The Bible itself never defends an oppressive slavery system. Never does it def- defend that but rather one that demands respect and fair treatment of both the slave and the master. When a slave was instructed to perform a task, he was expected to do so. If Frankie asks one of his guys to go repair a septic tank, he expects that they do just that. If Frankie asks one of his guys to do that, he expects them to do it, and even though he expects the job to get done, I'm sure he also expects some automatic protocols to be followed, like be kind, be courteous, be professional, do a good job, perform a quality service. These are some things that would go along with that. And in this sense, when the employee does his job correctly, he is doing what he's told. I'm picking on Frankie. I'm not really picking on him. I just used him as an example. But if Frankie tells Dan, I know Dan that works for Frankie. So if Frankie tells Dan to go pump a tank and Dan says, yes, sir, I'd be glad to do that. And he performs the task. And Dan at that time is being obedient to his human master. Okay, But when he does it with great effectiveness, and he does a good job, and he smiles while he does it, and he maintains a good attitude, then he's doing it as he's doing it unto Christ. And this is important. This is not an oppressive system. Frankie employs Dan. Dan is glad to have the work, and so he does the job with glad of heart, and he completes it to meet the expectations of both earthly and heavenly masters. Frankie's the earthly master in this situation. Yeshua is the heavenly master. Okay, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. I hear Dan talk all all the time about he's thankful for the six working days, just as much as he's thankful for the Sabbath. A good man appreciates his job. A good man wants to go to work. A good man wants to labor for his family. He wants to bring home the goods. He wants to see the fruit of his labor. He'd like to be paid or, you know, compensated for the time that he spends and the product that he produces. There's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> this is the way Yahweh designed it, and it's. Good. The Bible speaks very harshly about oppressive slavery. Let me give you a few examples. Slaves are never to be stolen and forced into labor. Never. Exodus chapter 21 and verse 16. Whoever kidnaps a person must be put to death. Whether he sells him or the person is found in his possession, he's to be put to death. So the way our nation participated in slavery back in the 17 and the 1800s here in America, not all, but most of that was not biblical at all. Be sure you heard me correctly. I said not all cases. But most of the time, slaves were found in our position that were not slaves at all. Free people back then were made slaves and then forced into labor fields not by their own choosing. Not by their own choosing. 
Or sometimes a man might even be held back. He might be underpaid and therefore underprovided for in an effort to force him into slavery. As a master or an employer, it is important that you provide for your servants in a fair manner. Yahweh says that when we release a slave from his duty or when the time is up for him to go, at that point he's to be sent away and provided for. Sometime with sheep, sometime with cattle. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 12 through 14. You can check it out. Whatever the man's work for, whatever, whatever his worth is, he's to be sent away with that. Folks, don't let the word slave or master fool you. Don't let it scare you. Do you know that in the seventh year, or the sabbatical year, that all Hebrew slaves were released from their debts? Okay. Yes, as a Hebrew man or woman, you would often sell yourself into slavery for the provisions of a worthy master. If the slave decided that they liked the worthy master, they didn't have to be released on the seventh year. They could have their ear bored through with an awl. They would actually lean them up against a doorpost and they would stick an awl through their ear, making them a slave for life because they appreciated and loved the, the welfare and the care that their master gave them. It's not a bad thing. And it's not different today. We do the same thing. I know for me, if I was looking for a job or a way to provide for my family, I would look for a good place of employment. It would be important for me. I would want a biblical man to provide me with monetary means in exchange for labor that I produced for him. I would want him to be fair, and I would want him to be honest. I would look for a spirit-filled man to provide for me in exchange for my work. Why? Because if I know that the man that I'm working for submits to Yahweh and his authority, then I know that he will be righteous. He will be righteous in his judgments when it comes to dealing with me. How about slavery as a means for repayment of a crime? This is another example of slavery in the Bible. Deuteronomy or Exodus chapter 22, the Bible says if a man steals something and he can't repay the person for what has been stolen, that he must be sold into slavery in efforts to reimburse the person for the articles that have taken that are taken away or that have been stolen. Folks, that's not harsh punishment. That's not harsh punishment. That is fair and just punishment. I hear people say things like this. Uneducated people say, well, back in the Bible times, if you stole something, they'd just cut your arm off. That is not true. That is not true. That's not biblical at all. They may have done that during Bible times, but this is still Bible times today. Okay, Those were Bible times back then. These are Bible times today. But in those days, in other cultures, they may have cut your hand off. But in this book right here, there's no warrant. For cutting somebody's hands off for stealing something. That's right. When somebody stole something, they had to replace it in multiple times. So sometimes two, sometimes four, sometimes five times as much. If they didn't have the money, they were sold into slavery for the reimbursement of the person's property. Yes. Okay? <clears throat> That's not a bad system. That is Yahweh looking out for the one who has been harmed. Okay? That's not oppression. It's exactly the opposite. Do you know that the Bible also talks about the physical abuse of slaves? Exodus chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, When a man strikes the eye of his his male or female slave, and he destroys it, he he must let the slave go free for the compensation of his eye. If a master strikes a slave and knocks his teeth out, same justice is required. He has to let him go for compensation of his teeth. Yahweh doesn't promote cruelty to servants by their masters. So all throughout the Bible we see the roles of servants, slaves, lords, masters, but that we never see is the oppression or the promotion of oppression within the slavery system. So I guess the question is then, why don't we have slaves today? 
We've already kind of discussed this. I believe that we still do have slaves today, just under different titles. Now we now we call them employees and employers. Employees are to be obedient to their employers. I don't think Paul's trying to convert a system of slavery here. He's trying to convert the spiritual nature of the slave and the master. That's the point of the sermon. That's the point of the text. Verse 6 says this. It says, Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves to Christ, do Yahweh's will from your heart. In other words, there's nothing wrong with the system, folks. Servanthood is what we're supposed to participate in and understand. We're to go to work with the attitude to work hard. Not because our boss expects us to, but because Yahweh expects you to. We should serve our employers the same way that we serve Yahweh as slaves to the Messiah. Now, with that being said, if I look at the world today, the Christians out there, and base whether or not they would be good employees by the way that they serve Yahweh, I probably would have a hard time finding helpers. Okay? However, the point is that we serve our employers with the same effort that we serve Yahweh. Do you obey Yahweh when you think He's watching? Is that what you do? He's always watching, by the way. Or is it a lifestyle of submissiveness? Do you submit as a general way of life? Are you constantly in submissiveness with Him? Do you only read your Bible when you need an answer to a question? Or do you read all the time and constantly discover new revelations as a reward to your stewardship? The same concept is gathered here. When I show up on my jobs, I expect to see everybody working. I don't want to see someone standing around watching the other men work. And I sure don't want to see them all standing around not working. Okay? Well, the same thing goes for our spiritual walk. Yahweh wants us to serve Him in every capacity. Not just a little bit here, not just a little bit there, not just when we think He's watching, not just when we're going to benefit from it, but in every capacity. And likewise, we are to serve our earthly masters the same way that we serve Him. As slaves to Christ, we should do Yahweh's will from our hearts. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. It says, Render service with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this simply means that the service and attitude that we give is the same that we will receive. How many people realize that our greatest treasure will never be revealed while here on the earth? The goal is never to accomplish great things on earth. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. We are to render good service because that is what a saint is called to do, not because this gets us a bonus, which is a plus. Sure, I'm not a, I don't have a problem with the bonus, but that's not our final goal. We do it so that we will reap what we sow and receive the same back from the Lord. So when we work, we work with a good attitude. As to the Lord and not to men. What we're looking for is the long-term reward of the Father. Not more money. Not nicer things. If those things come, then great. But that shouldn't be our goal. Folks, some are given much and some are given little. That has no bearing on how we're to act towards our employer and our attitude. We're to serve them as if we're working for Yahweh. And we do this so that our heavenly reward will be great. Paul's not trying to change or alter a system. There's nothing wrong with the system. Yahweh ordained it, and once again, it is good. The problem lies in the heart of the saint. The system of authority was created by Yahweh. The misuse of that system, that's man's doings. Okay? 
Brothers and sisters, if we are regenerate, if our hearts are right, then the system works. If our hearts are not right, then just like the home, just like the marriage, just like the children, and just like the church, it will all fall apart. It takes a new, regenerate heart for a man to properly fulfill his role as a servant and as a master, as a matter of fact. As we have been going through these last few sections of Scripture, the common thread is a reconfiguration of a man's heart. If our desire is to please the Father, then there must be an inward change of a man's heart. If this has happened, you will automatically see the result on the outside in a man's actions. What is manifested is no longer a selfish drive for power or authority from leaders, but rather kindness and fair treatment from a master. And as for the servant, it is no longer a greedy gain, but rather a recognition of the spiritual service to Yahweh, which correlates with the spiritual service to an earthly master. The concept is very simple, but it's profound, and no one can do this on his own. It takes a new nature. It takes a spiritual man to do this. It all boils down to one of two things. Either a man is regenerate and humble, accepting his position, whatever that position may be. Paul says, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have a little. I've learned to be content either way. Okay? Whatever that position may be. Or, if he's not regenerate, he's stuck in his old state and it won't ever work. Okay? And the old state usually produces that which is not spiritual and the underlying sin, that, in that case, would all fall back on the sin of greed. Okay, Everybody wants more of everything for himself. The employee, he wants less work, fewer hours. He wants more vacation and he wants higher pay. That sounds good, doesn't it? And the employer wants more labor from the employees, more freedom for himself, bigger chunks of profit, and so on and so on it goes. And at the bottom of it all lies the sin greed. The consumer is screaming for more money, cheaper prices, and less taxation. And that defies logic. It doesn't work like that, okay? The employees can't have less work and more money, and the employer can't have more work with less money paid out. But this is the mindset of people today. I've heard here lately that there are some people making suggestions that minimum wage should be raised to $15 per hour. Folks... You can raise minimum wage to $100 an hour if you want to. But when McDonald's pays its employees $15 an hour to make a hamburger, then your hamburger is going to cost 14 bucks. Okay? If a master has to pay his slave more than the price of the product produced, if, if he has to pay him a slave more, then the price of the product produced must be raised in order to compensate for the expense used to build the product. And who gets hit with a higher price? The consumer, the one who makes the higher wage. It's a vicious cycle. McDonald's pays its employees $15 an hour. The truck driver had to get a raise that brings everything. The milkman that brings the milk and the creamer, he needs a raise. The coffee distributor, he needs a raise. The bread man's pay increases. The soda machine manufacturer man, his, his pay's got to go up. Now when you go to get a Happy Meal, it's $21. So how good would your raise? Your $15 an hour not real great when all of it when all of it climbs like that, and it boils back down to greed and the lack of brains to start with. If we're if we as servants and as masters will charge honest wages, pay honest wages, then this never becomes a problem. We are to serve as we are expected to. We should treat the person who employs us as we would treat the Messiah Himself. That is, 
what doing Yahweh's will from our hearts as a slave to Christ. That's what it means. And when we meet that expectation, that is what that is what we will receive back from the Lord. Okay? Servants and masters don't just equate to employees and employers. It is spiritual. And we should all desire to be slaves to our master Yeshua again with that same attitude so that we will receive the same thing back from him. I didn't write this sermon under the pretense that I would get a check at the end of the sermon. Okay? Matthew asked me if I would help him teach a long time ago. I wasn't looking for a preaching position. And like Jerry said last night, there's a lot of labor involved in teaching. Okay? But I am capable of doing a task. And I am obligated to serve my Creator. So I write the sermons because I owe my Master a service. I'm not expecting any payment. I'm not asking for any special blessings on this earth. I am simply being obedient as a slave and serving where I am capable. I will be paid back in full when I reach my final destination. In Matthew chapter 25 and in verse 21, the parable of the talents, the man was going on a journey. And so he entrusted his talents to his servants. Some used the talents correctly. Some didn't use them at all. But the one who did use them correctly upon the man's return was rewarded by his masters. And the greeting that he, that he got when he got back was this. Well done, good and faithful slave. Yes. Yes. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Amen. I'm interested in hearing that. I doesn't care what it takes to hear it. I just, I'm interested in hearing it. Folks, that's my hope one day. I'm not seeking a reward now. I'm just being obedient, or at least I'm trying my best to be obedient. My reward is eternal, and that is my hope. I heard a story this week while preparing the sermon, and I'd like to share it with you. It goes like this, and I'm quoting from somebody I heard this from, but quote, A long time ago, there were two missionaries on a ship, a man and his wife returning home from Africa after many years of service. And also on the ship was President Theodore Roosevelt returning from a hunting trip also in Africa. Well, the ship docked in New York and there were great crowds there waiting to cover the story as President Roosevelt came off the ship. <coughs> President Roosevelt got off the ship with his people and he told of his stories and everybody oohed and odd. But at the two missionaries, as they walked down the ramp with their life possessions, which consisted of two tattered duffel bags, no one said anything. There was no one there to welcome them. They just got in a cheap cab and they headed to a cheap hotel to stay the night before heading west in the morning. After settling into their hotel, the man looked at his wife and he said, You know, it just doesn't seem right. We spent 30 years in a mission field trying to win the loss, sharing the Gospels, building houses for the homeless and feeding the hungry. We got back and no one even noticed that we were gone. No one welcomed us home. But the president goes and he shoots a few animals And he's gone for two weeks on an elaborate vacation. When he gets back, everybody greets him with open arms. It just doesn't seem right. But as the missionaries were praying before going to bed that night, it seemed as if the Lord spoke to them and assured them that it was simply because they weren't home yet. They weren't home yet. Folks, let's not evaluate ourselves by the world's recognition. Some people have their kingdom now, and some people get it later. I don't know about you, I'll just wait on mine. I'll just wait on mine. I just want to be a servant. He has called me to be. No more, no less. 
I don't need any gratification from anybody. Just be a servant. The best servanthood is the one that's never noticed. The best one is that the one that nobody ever realizes you do anything. The guy that picks up the trash, he doesn't get recognized, but he's the greatest servant. He's the greatest servant. Those are the good things. Let Yahweh be the giver of all good things. That's what James says. Whatever good we do, we'll receive back from the Lord. Let's look at verse 9 and then I'll close. It says, And masters, treat them the same way without threatening them, because you know that both their and your master is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. I'm not sure what else can be said about this verse. Masters, if you're a master in here, you're no different than the servants. The requirements of the master are the same as the servants. Just wages, fair treatment, kindness, humility, etc. Again, because you also have a master whom is in heaven. Those who have been given authoritative roles should be just as humble as those in servant positions. Remember, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, we all serve somebody. The employee serves the employer. The employer serves the consumer. And we are all consumers. And on a spiritual realm, we all are under one master. There is no segregation or favoritism with Yahweh. We are all slaves, some entrusted to to more than others, but we are all slaves. So in closing, let me say this. Yahweh is our master to the one who has much authority and to the one who serves. Don't just work while you're being watched, but render a good service all the time to the one who is your master whether earthly or heavenly. Be kind. Be fair. Be honest in your dealings with people. If you are an employer, appreciate appreciate your employee. If you are an employee, appreciate your employers. If you're a master, appreciate your servant. If you're a servant, appreciate your master. Yahweh will reward us all for our service. Just make sure that your service is one that is glorified to the Creator of heaven and earth. I'm going to pray and then we'll do testimonies, okay? Father Yahweh, I thank You for the opportunity to um, teach the sermon. Father, I thank You for the knowledge that You've given me. And I thank You for opening my eyes to understand certain things in the Scriptures. Yahweh, I'm really, really thankful that that I'm one of Your servants. Father, I pray that You would use my talents. That You would uh, not make me great, but that You would make You great through my work, through my hands. Father, use me the way that you would have me to to be used. And Father, let me always glorify you in my actions. Father, I pray this prayer for everybody in this church service. I pray that you touch each life that's in here. Father, I pray that that, uh, we would serve you as a whole, as a congregation, as a body of believers, that we would serve you to the the biggest capacity that we're capable so that you'll be glorified in, in all things. Father, we love you and we ask all these things in your holy son's name. Amen.